Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. These are my friends, Tom and Yuna, and uh, I have known them for a long time. And uh, it's a, a privilege to have Tom come and minister the Word of God. I just want to give Tom and Yuna some honor. The uh, Bible says, give honor where honor is due. And so uh, one of the things that I appreciate about Tom and Yuna is that they are consistent and humble learners. Um, and Tom is old, you know, <laughs> uh, real old. Um, but one of, one of the things that, that he, both him and Yuna have committed to is um, to not allow them, to not allow that to shape the way in which they view people, the way they view their future, and the way they view the rest of us. So there's a, there's a constant learning here. Um, Tom and Yuna have planted multiple churches, and through their ministry, uh, have sent out multiple people to plant churches. And so just want you to posture yourself in a position of receptivity as I pray for Tom and just mm. let him loose. Thank Father, thank you for this man. Uh, thank you for what you've put in him. Uh, thank you that we have the opportunity this morning um, to, uh, to firstly and foremostly hear from your word, uh, but also to hear from another brother um, in terms of what it is that you're doing and specifically what you would say to us. So, Father, we do. Uh, we submit ourselves humbly to your word. We want to be changed. We want to be moved. Spirit of God, open your word to us. Amen. Thank you. Thanks, Nick. Morning, everyone. Great to be here. And uh, yeah, I have known, obviously I'm a little older than most of you. The Bible honors age, remember that. <laughs> and so he just dishonored me and then hands me the mic and I can do anything I want. It's like, young guys are not wise yet. They're not wise yet. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, it's great to be here. It's a real privilege. Uh, your eldership team, we do honor highly. They are the authority of the house, and so we want to honor that as well today. And then obviously there's been a friendship here with them and their family, parents, and Africa, and all sorts of things that we also want to honor. Every time we come stay with them, we learn many things that we should not ever do again. And we learn many things that we should do. And then I also have a friend sitting over here, Lon. He's not adopted on this. You can't Jesus adoption, adopting him. And maybe give him a round of applause. He's on a Jesus journey as well. So great to see you, Lon. So, so Tom from North Carolina, my, Aussie, my accent is Aussie, and uh, I'm going to stick with that one. And we're going to talk about some stuff this morning that I think is really important. I don't know about you, but in the whole COVID process, I did lose my cool a couple of times. I was ready to deal with some people very violently and ugly and had to find my way back to God on many, many occasions. And coming through that, I feel there's some things that God has stirred in my heart that have been really helpful. Maybe a good way to illustrate that. I'm not, I'm not a mystery preacher. Like, I'll tell you all this stuff, and then at the end, like, what was the key thing? I can't really... I'm going to tell you up front. My dad fought in the Second World War by Kurt, with courtesy of a Sherman tank from you guys, which was really wonderful. Thank you. Kept him safe. And after the war, he, you know, he told me stories, some of the stories of what it was like and fighting with Rommel, against Rommel rather, with Montgomery and all that kind of stuff. Then he went back to London. He was a British guy. And another mission started because the place was decimated. 
And he wasn't a Christian. I think just before he died, I, I, I did lead him to the Lord. I'm not sure how sincere that was, if he was just doing it for me as his son. But I'm hoping when I walk through those gates, he's going to be there in his 80s, last day of his life, prayed that prayer. But he told me these stories of the people of London. They took whatever they had, shared it with each other, and slowly but surely began to rebuild the city. And he said something happened, and there were books about it. I went and looked it up. There were these amazing stories, especially among Christian people who were involved in that, that it seemed like if someone had a block of butter and you shared it with your street, somehow, someway, even with non-Christian people, that block of butter turned into 20 pounds of butter. Everyone got butter. And the whole process of rebuilding that place was incredibly accelerated to get London back online to be, to be the city that it is today. And I'm convinced that's part of our call. Yes, the war is kind of over. We're kind of dusting off the dust and we're licking our wounds and all the rest of it. But I think the, the mission seemed to be for me in North Carolina was survival. Maybe that was the same here. That, that mission is over. We're thriving again. Our church is starting to fill up like you guys, and people are getting saved, and we've had some baptisms. It's been amazing. But there's still another mission because there is so much brokenness and devastation still out there in people's lives. And we've got to start sharing the butter and the word and the good news. If you, if you just dream for a bit and think, just this little group, what could you do? In, in the area where we live. And one of the stories, and this isn't a boast story, it's just a, honestly, it's a God story. When we planted in North Carolina, uh, we had this old school building. It's in the middle of a little fishing town, and uh, off we went. And one of the things we said to everyone is, you've got to go and eat, which North Carolinians do, just like you do. You've got to go and eat in restaurants, but you've got to make a difference. So if 20% is the normal tip, then give some monster tips that actually shake your budget and you've got to trust God for the rest of the week. And about a month later, the town council had a meeting and they had this little report back from the, um, the, you know, the, 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 the management or whatever that looks after all these little shops and all the rest of it. And they said, my gosh, since One Harbor opened, our income has gone through the roof. So no one got saved. No one was baptized in those meals or anything. Maybe there were seeds planted and they'll come to fruition. But the town got touched because the church was out there doing something. You're all going to go and eat today. Can you touch the town? Of course we can. We can do some amazing things and some things together. So let's go to the story. It's the book of Ruth. It's like a romance. It's not like a, you know, like a, a love song kind of romance. I mean, there is a little bit of love in there. There is a little bit of smooching, but it's, a, it's about a bigger romance. It's about a romance with this God that many of us in this room know. And it's a romance about how I take who he is to others. I'm not talking about going out and witnessing on the street to your neighbors. I'm talking about a lifestyle that we ought to live and hopefully you can catch that. So three points. There is a God. Who would believe? Jesus is the story. And then the last one is, and this is very relevant to you, farming in Fullerton or Mercy Commons. We're going to do some agriculture a little bit today. And so the kind of love we're going to read about in the story is what's called said love. I'll set it up quickly. And said love is that kind of love that asks for nothing back in return. We live in very transactional environments. I'll give you one of my little uh, marriage uh, uh, said loves. 
is, I, I, I think a lot of women do this. Yuna's very good at this. It's not a knock on her, so don't come talk to me afterwards. This is absolute love on her. But Yuna will tell me a story, and it goes to so many places. I'm not sure anymore. Am I in Joburg, and now in Afghanistan, and then across to Walmart, and that thing, and then the lady came from the back, and eventually I'm like, huh? I have no idea. Now, no other man has that problem. You come and lay your hands on me and pray for me. But you know what I've learned? Eventually I just like, stop it. I don't know what's going on here. But I've learned to just love her for who she is. No hooks. I don't need anything back. You're a, a lady that can live in multiple planes in one moment. I love you, babe. I don't understand it, but I love you. That's what has said love is. We just love unconditionally. There's no hook in our love. I mean, guys, when you take a lady out on a date, there's a hook. You wanna, you're looking for a life partner. You want someone to bear your 12 children so you can copy the tribes of Israel or whatever the case is. But there's often a hook. I need a partner for life. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. And there is that kind of love. But I'm talking about the church rising up and just sweeping out of these places, out of our homes, into our office blocks, and just loving people. At your place of work, you have a photocopy machine, and there is someone who's always at that photocopy machine that everybody hates. Why don't you have said love them this week and see what happens? So, let's look at the story this morning. And uh, I'll zoom through it quickly. So, number one, there is a God. So, there's these characters in the story. If you don't know the book of Ruth, I'll just quickly give it to you. Uh, Elimelech is living with his family, his wife and two sons. He's living in Bethlehem. There's a famine there, so he doesn't trust the covenant God. Because he's a, he's a Jew, he's, he's a part of the covenant people, he doesn't trust God. So he goes to Moab, it's, a, it's an idol worship, heathen place. His, uh, his boys find two wives, and um, things don't go so well there. A famine eventually hits there, and Bethlehem is thriving. God shows up in Bethlehem, there's no famine, but there's famine in Moab. And then the three husbands die. The, the Elimelech dies, that's the husband of Naomi. And then the two sons die, and that's the husbands of uh, Oprah, Oprah and Ruth. It's devastation. And so they make a choice to go back, or, or Naomi makes a choice to go back to Bethlehem. She says to her two daughters-in-law, she calls them daughters, she says, uh, you stay here, it's not, you're not going to be welcome there, you're not Israelites. You can find new husbands here, your lives can start again. I'm going back. And Oprah, 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 she says, no, I'm staying. I'm going to do that. It's a wise plan. Thank you so much for that. But Ruth says, I'm coming with you. I'm going to love on you. You hurting and you broken. I'm going with you no matter how dangerous and how difficult that's going to be. She's going to be a foreigner. Ruth, Ruth's got nothing to be offered to her in that place. Let me read some scripture to you. Ruth chapter 1, verse 16. But Ruth said, so here's her said love. That's all I'm trying to put on display. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. 
and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more. Also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Okay, come on. The cool part of the story is that Ruth knew the living God. This mom-in-law with her sons and all the rest of it had taught them about the living God. And Ruth had embraced this God. And now she is going to live that life that God has put inside of us. She is going to live that love out. And most of us in this room have that same life that God has put inside of us. And the moment awaits for us to be shot out like cannon, uh, you know, like bullets, and go and love. And folks, I'm convinced it's one of the ways we're going to rebuild the communities and cultures around it. I don't think it'll ever be the same again, if I have to be honest. That's my take. But I can make my street a lot healthier place by loving on people. Maybe you're the best cake baker in America. You won the prize at your high school for baking cakes, and people heard angels sing when they ate a slice. My wife can do your angel cake. He's always a clever guy somewhere. <laughs> And so you just start pumping out cakes. <laughs> and you personally deliver. You don't go and buy trucks and get a whole team and do it through Amazon and, uh, you know, U-Haul or something. You take the cake yourself with a little note. You go to the house. You open the door. You go in. You sit down. You have a cup of rooibos tea. Eat the slice of the cake with the person. Talk to them. And, let, and just love on them without any hook back. You can't go home and three weeks later say, you know what, George? She still hasn't written me a thank you note. That's the last angel cake she's getting from me. Now, I haven't heard from her. Probably needs another cake. Off I go. <laughs> I think we have to start thinking like that. Every moment we're on mission, the minute you wake up, your radar screen is on. Okay, what's the deployment today? Where are we off to? What? Sometimes it can be a tap on the shoulder. Sometimes it's buying someone lunch. But man, we, we've got to take this as said love. That is our inheritance and take it out there to those who are around us. And they, they all set up waiting for you. If you think you chose your job because that's the one you like, i got news for you. There is a sovereign God who has deployed you to that place. Some of you are sitting like, yes. Others are saying, why? Because <laughs> it's not good. He's sovereign. You're his army. I'm his army. We're his lovers that are to take his love to these places. So let's read... Some more in Ruth, chapter 1, verse 19. It says, So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. This is a big deal. They're arriving at the gate. The gate's like the internet thing at the place. Everyone knows. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? She's changed. Folks, I guarantee there's some people you've met. When you see them now after the whole pandemic catastrophe, you're like, is that really George? So grumpy? So shallow? So gray? There's all sorts of people in our midst. I, we've had people come back to church. I honestly did not recognize them. They were so broken down through the politics and in the mosques and in the thing and then the thing and then the thing. And then they just got broken down just to be broken down because it was just the thing now. I don't recognize this lady. Is this Naomi? She said to them, Really happy girl, this. Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. And in the, in the original language, the inflection is getting higher and higher. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. 
For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Now Naomi had a, a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean from the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she, and she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Big news. they back in town. The whole town is stirred by their arrival. Naomi's all bitter and uptight once her name changed. I tell you, folks, when we, when we get really hurt and broken down, we change our identity. We call ourselves something else, or we let the culture call us something else. we got a whole lot of friends and family and colleagues at work in that that we need to reset their identity for them. Just with kind acts of love over a long period of time or having them in our home and, and, and just stepping out there. This is our moment like never before to rebuild the nations in wonderful ways. Naomi's name used to mean pleasant sweetness. Something's happened to her and now she's bitter and all twisted. And when these people come and talk to her, they're actually inviting her into, to be in her pain. Don't know if you let people come into your pain, but in Scripture, that's, that's how it should be. When, when, when I have lament, you know, let's say my kids are really sick, I, I need someone to sit with. I need to sit with Nick and say, I'm so, I don't know what to do, I'm angry. And I mean, there's a whole book on lament. But in our Western culture, we're too packaged. I'm not going to let anyone into this little box. And then what happens in that little box goes moldy and festers and gets all really horrible and leaks, and smells. Even in the church, we've got to learn to lament better with each other and bring our hearts out onto the surface. It's real loving, I think. There's no quick fix for all that's happened around us. This is going to be long-term mission. London didn't get fixed quickly, but it did get fixed quicker than they ever thought it would because everyone together just did what needed to be done. So we see this amazing love of this girl called Ruth. And um, I mean, it's a very effective love. I want to give this part of the story away as well. So we've seen old Miss Grumpy over here. And this girl goes out into a field. This is physical labor. She's going to work 16-hour days. All she's allowed to pick up is the little kernels of barley that fall when the guys collect their wheat. So you'll cut it, put it in a big pack, and on the ground be four or five grains, and she's allowed to go and pick that up, keep it in a basket, and she'll take it home at night, and she'll feed Naomi. She's going to do that for month after month after month. She's a stranger. There are men there. It is very dangerous. There's other women there. Ladies, you know what it's like when a woman from somewhere else comes into the environment. It's very like, ah! And she chooses to go and do that so her mom-in-law can eat. That's a said love. We may have to choose some things like that so others can eat of the life that's in us and do some wonderful things. The amazing thing is if you get to the end, in here we should hit the scripture, there comes a moment when old bitterness 
praises God again. Can you see that thing? When I read that, I mean, I've read that book a hundred times over the years, and then I read it again recently, and I noticed Naomi suddenly, through the love of this young girl, bringing God's love to her, suddenly praises God again. There's thousands, if not millions of people who are not going to church anymore or hate the church or blah, 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 blah. And I'm not just talking about rebuilding the church. I'm, re- I'm talking about everything. I'm convinced one of the ways God wants to use in these last days, we just love on them. And they go from, I'll never go to church again, to, I'll think about it. And like, yes, I'm back. How I've missed it. Because we've loved them. So it's no new course you've got to learn. There's no 18 classes that you've got to go to Nick's house to watch the videos and then know you how to do this. No, you just go out the door and you start loving on someone. And you have hundreds of people all around you. So they came at the beginning of the barley harvest. We picked that up. And um, I want to read this to you, Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 13. It says this, If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. We sang that in at least three songs this morning. That one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised from the dead. So when I go and love on someone out there, if I bake a cake for the lady sitting at the front here and bring it back to her this afternoon, I'm not doing it uh, for her so much, although it is for her, but first of all, I'm doing it to put my king on display. That's why we love Great to parade us all past here. I mean, you're not going to see me for a while, so I can take a few little advantages. <laughs> and let's put your love on parade. What's it like? Rate you. You know, you have people. Five. We don't have a number for that. <laughs> Minus 4,021. Honestly, just think for yourself. That's what I would love happens today, that, that God really shifts in your heart. And you never remember my name, but you remember, my gosh, that day something shifted. Why do you love? Why do you want love? The Bible says it's much more better to give it away than to receive. Marriage, best marriage lesson I can give you. Just give all your love away to your wife. She'll give all her love away back to you. Kaboom. A lot of children. (laughs) Ruth loves God. Ruth loves God's people. Ruth loves Grumpy Naomi. Ruth lives and loves unconditionally. There's no conditions. This is real, risky, vulnerable, has said love. And when you met Christ as your Savior, that was deposited in your soul, sir, ma'am. It was deposited in my soul. And I personally have had to find, I've had to open that cupboard, dust it off, and get it going again. Instead of sitting in my own mire, in my own heartache. I mean, at our church, people just vanished. I'm not what you're sure what your eschatology is. Mine was rapture, then it changed a bit. I'm back to the rapture part, because people just vanished. I don't know where they went. I'm hoping somehow they made it there, and there's a kind of a varied eschatology or something. He'll fix that afterwards. 
My heart was broken. These are people we've walked with. These are people who opened the doors the first day when we planted. Just vanished. Man, I've had such a sorry, silly party with myself. And then read this book. Oh my gosh, get that thing out. Dust it or fire it up. Let's go. Go love on some people. Care for some people. So that's exactly what Jesus did. He emptied himself for us. So, so we see this young girl, she meets Jesus, or she meets God, Old Testament style. She loves on her mom-in-law. Her mom-in-law comes, comes right. She gets healed up. I'm, I'm saying that's my, my idea here today from Scripture. So point number two, Jesus is in the story. He's in this book. And so there's seven ways you can find Jesus in the book of Ruth. And all I'm going to do, I'm going to just tell you the seven things, and then I'll read the passage where we find him. And you just enjoy it. And as we're reading it, just try to think, oh, there he did that, then he did that, then he did that, then he did that, then he did that. No, he, he, okay, do you get the point? All right, here we go. Seven ways. This is called typology in, in, uh, when you study the Bible. And so typology means it's a type of the real thing. So if we had a lamb here this morning, we, would, we could say this represents the Passover lamb, but it's not the Passover lamb. It's a lamb that is a picture of Jesus. So there's this guy in here, his name is Boaz. I mean, that's a strong name for a boy, eh? Boaz. <laughs> and um, there's seven things that point us to him as Jesus. And maybe you're a visitor here this morning, don't know anything about Jesus or what's the salvation thing. This book in the Old Testament points Jesus to you. It's so beautiful. So let's go. Number one, he's from the tribe of Judah. All royalty was chosen from the tribe of Judah. David came from the tribe of Judah. Boaz comes from the tribe of Judah, and he is the highest chieftain in that tribe. Number two, he's from the town of Bethlehem. That's where Jesus was born. That is where King David was born. There's this line of royalty in the Old Testament. It's pointing, no, there's one coming. Boaz is like him. Going to see in his life. Number three, he's the role of the redeemer. He buys back their goods. So a redeemer is like if I've lost my job, I've got no more money, I can go to someone in my family and they can pay my mortgage off, they can pay my car loan off, etc., etc., and I get all that stuff back because someone else has paid the price. Who paid your price for salvation? We sang about it. Jesus Christ is our kinsman redeemer. He's our family because he's from the, from the tribe of man, but he's also willing to pay the price for our sin and for our loss. We have a kinsman redeemer. Boaz was that, the role of redeemer. Number four, he's a, he gets a bride from the nations. So Jewish people were meant to get tr people to marry them from, from the tribe. And uh, Elimelech does not do that. Uh, I mean, his family does not do that. And uh, what happens is we find that Boaz doesn't do that either because long story short, he marries Ruth. And Jesus didn't marry just Jewish people. He married you and me. Born in Zimbabwe, lived in South Africa, proud Aussie, soon to be green card carrying North Carolinian. That's what he got. Greek, Russian, maybe, I don't know what's all here. He gets a wife from the nations who will dwell with him through all eternity. Boaz goes and gets a wife from the nations. Picture of Jesus. Constant acts of kindness. Listen to them. The way he speaks and cares for his laborers. Hey, guys. Yes, boss. Yeah, there's this wonderful thing that goes backwards and forth. Ruth, 
a foreigner, he's warm and generous. His posture towards her is that of blessing. Protects her. Boys, you stay away from that girl. You go near, 10 foot near, I'll whip you. Ruth is flabbergasted. It's not normal. How about we flabbergast some people today? Where the waiter or whatever is serving us can't even speak. Huh? You gave me how much? Or you said what? Or you wrote a note? Oh, amazing. There's favor in his eyes. I think that's the start of the courting. He's just like with his eyes on. Hello there. His eyes were always focused on the poor, the broken, the destitute. They're all around us. I've had to lift my eyes where we live. Oh, I didn't know this. This person. He would become her kinsman redeemer through Naomi. He performed deed after deed after deed of her said love, unconditional love, this gentleman. And Jesus and Boaz seemed to have the same target always. Their, their, their sights were always set on those who are hurting and broken. And folks around us, that's so easy to do nowadays. I mean, I know everyone looks cool. Even as I you know, look out from here, I, it, wow, pretty cool bunch of Californians got it all together. But if we started lifting up the hood and having a look, uh-oh, Jesus is focused on that. We should be loving each other through that. Number six, keeper of the law and then some some. So he kept the law, the Old Testament, you had to keep the law. And uh, I know a lot of you may say, well, if you're a visitor this morning, well, all these rules and regulations, we, I don't like that. So all it was in the Old Testament, it was lots of rules and regulations before the New Testament began and Jesus arrives. But those laws, you lived them so that your lifestyle put the character of God on display. So, so when I treated my kids in a certain way or the way I honored my wife with you know, some of the things that are written in, in the Old Testament and the law in Deuteronomy and all the rest of it, it wasn't just me like, oh, I've got to do this today because God said I must. I love you, you Nick, and I buy you a meal or whatever it is. No, no, no. It was as the neighbors are watching, oh my gosh, what is this? There's something different here. And it would put the very character of God on display. And so Jesus didn't say, Father, how many laws should I keep? Okay, 282.4. Okay, brilliant. He just kept them all. Boaz just keeps them all. He goes way and beyond. I mean, ladies, if you're marrying a guy, isn't that the kind of guy you want? Just doesn't just do minimum, but he goes way and beyond. And guys, if you're marrying a lady, isn't that what you want? A woman who doesn't just do the bare minimum things, but goes way beyond because of her love for you and how she wants to serve and be kind to you. So he has all these things in his sights, the law, and then the last one. And I'll read the passage, and then we're on to the last point. An abundant provider. He gives her water. He makes her safe. He even works out that some of the guys will drop extra barley on the ground. I mean, she picks up, I think it's 30 pounds in, in the often, in the 16 hours. That is a world record, still in the Guinness book. It is a world record, seriously. Picking up little grains like that. She sits down and eats at their table with them. It's so lavish. There's so much leftover food. 
But he says, no, pack it up. You can take it home. I mean, she gets home. She's got 60 or whatever the pounds are. I can't remember right at this moment. You know, got all that. And then she's got all this ready-made food. Just unwrap it out of all the little skins in there. And like, wow, what a day. Staff treated her well. So let's read about Boaz, the picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. And I'll close with the last little point. Ruth chapter 2, 1 to, 1 to 22. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And, the Ruth, and Ruth the Moab said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean amongst the ears of, corn, of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. Kind man. Hey guys, hope the Lord's with you today. And they answered, the Lord bless you. There's this cool thing happening there, labor agreement. Very good one. Then Boaz said to the young man who was in charge of the reaper, whose young woman is this? Who's this lady? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman. I mean, everyone knew about this, guys. She is a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me clean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now, listen, my daughter. I mean, it's not blood, daughter. But can you hear the kindness of that? It's like, you know, I'm an older guy. I can, I can go up to someone's son or like one of Nick's kids and say, hey, hey, my girl. It's not my girl be a privilege if she was my girl but I'm saying something with my heart and my demeanor towards her hey my girl so nice to see you thank you for the pancakes this morning or whatever it was we got and now when I say whatever it was it was recognizable I'm not like making a joke here (laughs) now listen my daughter do not go to glean in another field or leave this one but keep close to my young woman safety security let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them have i not charged the young men not to touch you and when you are thirsty go to the vessels and drink with the young men what the young men have drawn then she fell on her face bowing to the ground and said to him why have i found favor in your eyes and you should take notice of me since i was a foreigner but boaz answered her All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and full reward be given you by the Lord, the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. She's met this God now. She's encountering this God. Then she said, I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant though I'm not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So now there's wine and, and bread. She could never have bought that. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed the young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. There's just generosity after generosity after generosity. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned. It was about one ephah of barley 
And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, and she said, the man's name with whom I worked today was Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord. You see, she's worshiping again. Here's that moment. The mom's worshiping again through this daughter-in-law just loving on her. She's seen God again. May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living and the dead. Remember what she said when she came back? God deserted us. He has not forsaken us. Wow, what power in our love. Naomi also said to the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close to be by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with this his young woman, lest another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. It's about three months that she carries on. Last point. And this is where you've got to get involved now. You've been great listeners. You've laughed at the right moment. <laughs> so, I used to live in the Cape. Cape Town, South Africa. Led a church there, and a couple of hours outside of, out of the city, there is an area called Dadurns, means the thorns. It's a very thorny area, obviously. So on the one side, like over there, there's these mountains that it sort of just goes from the ground sideways like that. It's not peaks, but it's like a sort of a cliff that just runs along the whole valley. It's the most expensive land on the whole continent of Africa. And you could not dig a hole if you took a shovel and tried. It's just rock. It's just stones. It's horrible. So you've got this here. At the bottom of the mountain, there's a river. And then on the other side, you've got these fields. And what happens? By God's amazing chemistry ability, every year, somehow the rain hits that thing. And then it gets snow on it as well. And there's some kind of mineral activity that happens, you know, in the chemical reaction, that it comes down into this valley. And you can grow the biggest grapes in the world in that valley. I have a friend who has a grape farm there. It's called Elam. Planted a church there, so we used to go and help him a lot. So I was out there one day. The, I mean, these are grapes that are like that. And only the Germans buy them. Because they've got the contract for, I don't know, the next hundred years. They fly them there by jet plane to Germany. They make Millions and millions and millions a year. But there was one key thing. He said, I want to show you this. So we go out into the farm, and uh, there are these expensive grapes, you know. So it's like, a, it's like a, a, a thick vine that comes up like that, and then it turns, and then you've got all the branches that come off it, and that's where the grapes are hanging. And the particular day I was there, he said, hey, we're going to do some pruning today. And I mean, yeah, I've seen pruning. You know, you cut a thing here and I cut a thing there and then more roses pop out or whatever the case is. I tell you, I was, I was genuinely shocked. I thought it actually was killing his whole farm. Have you gone insane? Because the amount of pruning he did, it looked like nothing could ever grow again. I said, Louis, what is going on here? 
He said, Tom, just come, come with me to the next plant I do. And what, he showed me this. Yes, there were some little grape bunches in that coming. But the sort of overhang, you know, the, the, the shrubbery above it had got so big that the sun couldn't get through to the branches. And this is what happens. The vine comes out of the ground, so there's some deep root work going on that comes up the vine, makes a turn, and now it's heading to the branches and where the grapes are going to go. But unless the sun hits those things, the chemical reaction can't take place and you can't earn millions of Deutschmark. You just get little bits because the, uh, the grapes will be like that. And so he has to trim everything away so the sun can hit all that again. And within weeks, there are these giant, giant grapes. I want to invite you to let the Holy Spirit come and prune you today. What, what's in all the overhang that the life of God just could not get to to cause fruit that we can go and give away? And this is how we're going to do it, if, you, if you're happy to that. And I've checked with your leaders. All I want you to do is just let me read the passage of Scripture to you with your head bowed. We'll pray first. This is what we'll pray, so you know up front. And if you don't know Jesus, man, if you stick around a little bit, we'll tell you afterwards how you can meet Christ as your Savior. But if you do know, all I'm going to pray is this, Lord Jesus, here we are, a bunch of your sons and daughters. We're grateful for the Hesed love you poured into our lives through Jesus Christ. In fact, we've worshipped you this morning so wonderfully. It was so rich for you and I. But Holy Spirit, as I sit under the reading of this word this morning, won't you come and show me where I need to prune? And then just we'll pause for a few moments. And I'll close in prayer and I'll hand back to Nick. Exciting moment to let God now come and work in our midst. So let's bow our heads together if you don't mind. Father, we come before you. Holy Spirit, this is the part where we need you to come and work in our midst. We pray that as I read the scriptures, there would be an anointing upon it. And Holy Spirit, you'd move from soul to soul to soul. And you'd start, at worst, begin to show us where, oh, the overhang has got so big, there's no life of God coming in through. At best, Lord, you would actually show us some things, and then you would chop them off. We walk out different to when we came in. A little lighter, a little more fruitful, a little more in love with you, a little more willing to, disp to, to, dis to take your love and put it out there. So Holy Spirit, as I read this now, work in all of our hearts, I pray, in Jesus' name. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Keep in step with the Spirit. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, 
to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envies, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, but, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning that you're our guarantee. We thank you that you are the master wine dresser, vine dresser. Lord, we, we want to see huge Jesus love flowing from us, each one of us here. That includes me standing right here, Lord that we might touch the world that you've deposited us in. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.